Because leaders in the C-suite especially are really concerned about what are all these new trends going to do to my business model and you know the the everything's moving and so how how can we deal with that anxiety Welcome to Acton Line, a product of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. I'm Eric Cohn, executive producer. Managing a business is a challenge no matter the context. Talent comes and goes, supply changes, and there frequently isn't the ability to achieve everything you want. Every day, new constraints move in and out, creating roadblocks to the next goal. There may not be one solution, but co-founder and managing partner of Michigan Software Labs, Mark Johnson, says strong company culture is the foundation of a successful company. In this episode, Acton's Director of Programs and Education, Dan Churchwell, speaks to Mark about becoming an entrepreneur, managing the ever-changing constraints of a business, and why it's important to be a good steward to both clients and colleagues. You can find additional resources in the show notes for this episode, as well as find previous episodes of Acton Line on our website at acton.org slash actonline. And if you like this program, you can help us reach even more listeners by sharing it with a friend and leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We welcome your comments as well. Acton Line is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Today we are joined by Mark Johnson, co-founder and managing partner at Michigan Software Labs. From an early age, Mark has enjoyed tinkering with technology. He taught himself how to write code at age 11 and developed an HTML website offering snowboarding and wakeboarding advice, which eventually sold to the company that became About.com. After earning his undergraduate degree from Hope College, Mark earned his MBA from Cornerstone University, as well as a leadership certificate from Harvard University. Today, Michigan Software Labs is recognized as much for its culture as its software solutions. In fact, it was the only software company in Michigan to receive Inc. Magazine's Best Places to Work Award. Mark enjoys solving challenges by uniting people around a common goal, and at Michigan Software Labs, he leads the charge for custom software solutions for clients ranging from middle market to Fortune 500 companies. On the leading edge of technology, culture, and innovation, he is a member of the Forbes Technology Council and a frequent contributor to Forbes.com. Well, Mark, welcome to uh, ActonLine. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's a delight to have you on. Uh, thank you for being a guest at our uh, annual business conference as well, Business Matters, that has recently concluded. And I just felt like we didn't get enough time. You know, and you were on a panel discussion and there's just a lot, you know, really great information there. But I wanted to sit down and just have a little more extended discussion with you. And so really thank you for joining us in the, in the studio. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So, I, I mean, if I'm reading your story correct, um, back in 2008, your wife gave you, you know, one day gave you a list of things to do, a honeydew list, you know, and the basics that we all, you know, get, mow the lawn, do the dishes, those kinds of things. But she also asked you to see if you could help 
build an app. I don't even know if that's what she called it back then, you know, or just <laughs> how, how could she listen to the radio on her phone? And that was in 08. And then you developed the company and created the company, started the company Michigan Software Labs in 2010. So, so bridge the gap for us, you know, from that original request from your wife to now launching this very successful company. Yeah, so the the story goes, uh, I guess the lesson in the story is listen to your spouse. Uh, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> they have the best ideas, but she she had a need to, you know, have an app and she would go around and run run around Reed's Lake and so she wanted to have something that she could listen to and it was a a station that uh, you know, we really loved and she was able to, it took me about six months to program the app and, and donate it to the station. She was able to listen to the radio. And really, the gap came in when I, uh, Josh and I had met, and we were friends, and he's like, hey, I saw you built the iPhone version. I'll build the Android version. Hmm. And of course, he's a professional programmer, so it took him a day <laughs> after it had taken me six months. And <laughs> uh, we were able to donate these apps to the station. And that uh, first weekend that we had, they had about 100,000 listeners. And so we started to get, you know, requests from all over the place. So, people so, that, so let me stop you. This yeah. is totally rude. But like, so in, back in 08, I mean, right now, you know, my kid, you know, Spotify, there's all these apps. Every radio station has an app. Yeah. What was the environment like in 08? I mean, was that new? Oh, yeah. Or is it just new for this radio, this particular station? No, there was not a lot of apps on the App Store. So we were one of the earlier earlier apps. And so for you to be able to develop an app and then have people download it, it was, you know, it was pretty new. And uh, the iPhone had just come out and she had an iPhone. And of course, that's what we built it for. But it was this, uh, this whole new ecosystem was being Hmm. created in the app store. And because you didn't have a ton of choices yet. You had Pandora and some others, sure. uh, but uh, you were able to download it and actually listen to a station that you love. So it was pretty cool. So let, let's get back before I uh, interrupted you. A hundred thousand people were downloaded and were using it. Yeah, it was amazing. I think because of the choices, you know, if you don't have a lot of choices, you don't <laughs> you just download it. But yeah, there were people from all over the world that were listening. And so we were super grateful to be able to reach them with, uh, with that station. And uh, I think... The, the other part that we learned is that, you know, we didn't want any credit for it. We, we didn't even want our names on it because mm. we didn't want to get bug reports and things like that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but they put our names and personal emails and cell phones on there. And so we started to get lit up by people that needed apps, you know, for their company or if they had an app idea. And uh, it was a crazy, it's like starting a company by accident. Obviously, we don't believe in accidents, but sure. there was this, uh, just this flurry of calls and requests that we got and from some major companies that needed apps. So, so, so what industry were you in? You said this was kind of by accident or you, you did it to help your wife. Were you in app building at the moment or what, what were you doing? No, I, I've had a background in business and uh, marketing. And, uh, you know, growing up, we had uh, websites and things that we would build. But this was really, I wasn't in technology at the time. Josh was a professional programmer. And I still think, you know, he's one of the best programmers in, in the state, if not, you know, the, the whole region, because he just has a way of solving problems and how he sees something and very efficient with what he does. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, I mean, let, let's let's I guess go back then. You know, before 08, did you know? Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Or is that something you know that was built into you, or is this something like you said happened by accident, if you will? Or um, how, how did you grow up in in relation to technology? Yeah, so I come from a long line of entrepreneurs. So both of my grandfathers were entrepreneurs. One, you know, had the Forslund Furniture Company, which is kind of a oh. well-known name here in Grand Rapids, and the other one had electronic. Uh, electrician business. And so my brother and I, when we were 10 years old, we decided we were going to start a clock company. And so we had 
made clocks in the shape of Michigan and we'd sell them door to door. So I would do the sales, he'd do the manufacturing. And uh, we, we just liked to create things. We wanted to be people that were, you know, doers and, you know, were taking action. Hmm. Where did where did that come from? Just literally you observing or were there like rituals in your family, either grandparents or parents? Did how, how did that really develop in your life? Yeah, they had a huge impact on us. I think, you know, one of my grandfathers would, uh, he, he would talk to you like you're the only person on earth and just ha- had that focus and the ability to connect with you. And he would talk the same way to the janitor as he would the, you know, the CEO or the governor and just had a really personal connection. And so he encouraged us to go into entrepreneurship and leadership and just trying to make a difference out there. My other grandfather was really good at data and analytics and, you know, seeing the numbers uh, how they're going to play out in real life. And so just learned a ton from both of them and the ability to, you know, create value where where it's hiding. So other than family, I mean, who encouraged, or, or maybe on the technical side, what, did you have computers growing up? You know, is that, you hear stories of people, you know, taking stuff apart, et cetera. What, how did technology in particular, um, how did you use it or look at it as you were younger? Yeah, so we would have uh, a website, and uh, the website would be for snowboarding and wakeboarding advice. And so we we got a computer, and uh, this is, again, early days of the web, and we were able to launch these websites that just had advice and had images and you know ways for people to interact with, uh, with us through a discussion board. And this was your idea? Yeah, you, we you were just, kids, you okay. know, and so <laughs> it was fun. But my, our parents both instilled in us, too, this idea of, you know, you want to you be a creator, you know, try and think of something. So my dad was an electrician. My mom worked in scientific research and they just had this bent towards, you know, creating and, and delivering value. And so even early on, it was technology. We were messing with things out in the barn and trying to, you know, create whatever we could, could uh, stay out of trouble. That's really great. And so when your wife came to you with that, you know, request about the radio um, interface, you know, for her iPhone, what, where did you start? Like if you weren't a professional developer, what did you read? Did you, you know, what, how did you get that moving? Yeah. So the first thing we, we did was we, we actually just sketched it out on a blank piece of paper, kind of what it would need to do. Here's the functionality, what it's going to do. And then I actually went over to Barnes & Noble and I bought the dummies book. And I was like, I just need a 101 version of how app development works. And they actually had one of the first books. Uh, so back in the day, it was Objective-C. Now it's Swift and all these modern technologies. But back in the day, it was Objective-C. And we were and able that's to- the name of the the platform or the software that's used? Is yep. that, okay. Yeah, that was the name of the, the programming language. So think about a programming language like JavaScript or Python. Yep. It was just a version of that. Okay. And so we were able to learn a language like learning French. And you start to learn how to speak it, and then you start to learn how to write it. And we were able to create the application um, using what was called Xcode. So Xcode was actually the system that you built it in and allowed you to deploy it to the App Store. That's fantastic. What, what did it look like then? I mean, how did you troubleshoot that? How did you get like the R&D? You know, how, how did you get it up and running? Did you have to or was it just flipping a switch and it, it turned on and it worked? It was, a, it was a lot of trial and error back in the day because, again, there's not a lot of apps out there at the time. And so we had to kind of learn by just making a lot of mistakes <laughs> and figuring it out. And uh, the ability to connect then to the station and get their right streaming credentials and then be able to broadcast that. <laughs> I just love that. So when it, when it actually did, you know, come to fruition, you know, what, did you say about six months? Or? Yeah, it took me six months. took Josh a day. <laughs> six hours maybe. There's there's a story there somewhere, you know. <laughs> um and I love the the idea, you know, but when you gave this to her, you know, did you, did you realize what you had done? 
No, we, we really just wanted to make her happy. So we weren't thinking about like, oh, yeah, someday we're going to have this, you know, mm -hmm. successful company or anything like that. It was really just to check off the honey-do list. Hmm. And um, I, I wish I would have saved that paper. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That'd <laughs> be know? great to frame. Oh, the lawn, do the dishes, build an app. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, where, so that was in 08. And if, if I have the timeline right, you started um, Michigan Software Labs in... 2010. Is that right? Yeah, we had a professor. So I was at business school and we had a professor that said, uh, you know, I, I can help you guys with the LLC because he, he knew about that and was able to, you know, help us put together some documentation, introduce us to the attorneys and, you know, the right uh, CPAs. And so we were up and running in 2010 is when we incorporated. All right. And what, what was the idea when you, when you're, you know, look back at those nascent days, you know, of starting, um, the company, where, I mean, what, what was your hope yeah, initially? Yeah, initially it was to fulfill all the demand that we were getting. And so there, the, the idea was we were going to try and build it with, uh, you know, local uh, experts and people that we knew that were doing software development. And so specifically around apps, I think we had a three-word tagline. It was, we make apps. And mm. it's really pretty similar to what we have today. Obviously, we're doing a lot more complexity now. But back in the day, it was, you know, if you searched for Michigan app developers, Michigan Software Labs was coming up. We were, we were number one because we had, you know, kind of a focus on app development. So you're in, you're in business school at the time, you said. Yep. So when, you, when, they, when the radio station decided to, you know, connect your contact information or say thank you or, you yeah. know, however that, <laughs> yeah. however that worked, what did those initial requests look like where, where you had the idea that this could be a company? What what requests were coming inbound? Yeah, so a lot of it was, you know, we, we have to find a, a company that is, a, you know, a trusted resource. They're onshore. They're not off in some other country. They're they're local people that we can meet with face-to-face -to, -face to build mm -hmm. the apps. And so, uh, but they were, some of the deals were enterprise. And so these were large, you know, multinational companies that were coming to us needing apps. And uh, a lot of what it was is just trying to solve a, a business problem that they had. And so one of the early ones that we got was from Volkswagen, and they needed to hire Michigan app developers uh, to be connected kind of to their ecosystem in automotive. And so they needed apps uh, to be able to, you know, do things in manufacturing that they hadn't done before and in terms of checklists and things like that. And we were able to be that local group that they could meet with. And So were you doing, I guess, you know, revenue building before the company, you know, in, in that two-year space? Did you say yes to that and, and, and build that? or, or? Yeah, the, the whole team, Josh kind of uh, went first because he was more technical. I was basically dead weight. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we don't I want doubt Mark, that. But <laughs> Mark programming anymore. Uh, I think that was the first and last app they let me build. So, <laughs> <laughs> I love which it. Is, uh, which is good. But starting to build a team around Josh and, you know, he's, he's the software expert and he was the person that could say, all right, this is how we're going to do the architecture. This is how we're going to think about building a team. And uh, he was at GE at the time. And so we really built the whole team around him. And we started to get some contracts that were longer. And so he was thinking, all right, I've got a year here, you know, that paid my salary. I can jump ship here and take a, take a risk on that. Again, it was his wife that had to approve. Sure. Because <laughs> obviously you've got a young family and you're oh, thinking yeah. about uh, all the complexities of having a business. And uh, when she said yes, we knew we had something. Wow. That I love those stories. I mean, so, you know, on your website currently, you know, you showcase um, uh, the idea that at Michigan Labs, human-centered research always drives design and development. 
Can, can you explain more about that distinction? Why, why, is, why do you showcase that idea of human-centered research? Yeah, so humans are the ones that are using the software. And so if the software works perfectly, but there's no humans involved, then it, uh, it, you know, it's, it's not going to be effective. And so for us, we really think about that experience of, and we have a, a, if you come to our office in Ada, we actually have cameras that'll, you know, look over your shoulder and see how you're using it as a new user. And it, this works for any industry, whether it's we're building an app for healthcare or financial technology or logistics or, you know, consumer-based apps. How is the user going to experience each button? How are they going to make sure that they're getting the relevant information, you know, right on the screen? So, so back up, you said the camera will look at, and, and so how your, how your, uh, like, biodynamic, how your body is y- connecting with the buttons, et cetera? Is that yeah, what you mean? Yeah, or? everything from what seems confusing to what seems like uh, this is a great touch target. You know, this is a large, you know, area that I can, uh, you know, use the app with. Uh, but every industry is different, and we actually spend time, a lot of time, out listening to users. You know, how are they going to use it? What's important to them? What features would they like to see? But uh, the, the big lesson we've learned is if you can connect the app to how a user is going to use it, you're going to be successful. Yeah, I love that. Um, and so when, when, when you're starting this company, you, it looks like you settled on four specific core values. Uh, build like we'd like it built for us. Partner with humility. Grow through constant curiosity. And be better together. Why, why, you know, when you're building a company, it's kind of like you're, you're co-creating, right? You're, you're, you have the ability to, to set the stage or the, the angle for, for where you want to focus on. Why those four? Yeah, so when we sat down, and I, I still remember Josh and I, you know, with some, a lot of caffeine, you know, the big, big B coffees or whatever yeah, we were yeah. drinking back then. We said, what if we were going to design a company from scratch, what would we want the values to be that we would actually want to do business with, with this company? And a lot of the... I guess the the nuance of technology is that there's a lot of ego and there's a lot of pride and there's a lot of this, you know, you know, we're going to do it and we're going to, you know, kind of crush the competition. And uh, we wanted to focus on partner with humility. Like how would we actually want to work with a company or how would we want them to build new software? And so that allowed us to frame it as not being the business owner yet, but really being a customer of the business or a client of the business. And those values still are what we follow today. Uh, the better together one really is just about our team, you know, how we're going to how we're going to treat each other, how we're going to, you know, prioritize the ability to encourage each other and, and constant learning because we are a people business at the end of the day. The, the people are doing the work for the clients and trying to create that value for the client. And what, what does it look like in your company um, as you, you peruse the website, which we'll link in the show notes? It looks like, you know, you have a mix of developers – and to very technically minded people, but then kind of it seems like there's a consultant side of your business, or maybe it's just the the sales. But you're trying to listen, like like what's the process if I were to come to you? And it probably you know there's probably a lot of variables here, but but work with me. If if I were to come to you and say I need an app built in a manu, you know our a lot of West Michigan is manufacturing, right? I have a manufacturing space. I need an app built. What, what walk me through just kind of the basic process as a new client comes to you? What what does it look like? 
Yeah, so it really is trying to be consultative and trying to really focus on where that value is hiding. And so a lot of times clients will come to us and they'll say, we have this business problem. We're not going to tell you guys how to solve it. You just have to figure out how the software is able to support that. And so we'll sit down, we'll do a product strategy phase, which is essentially a, a few week phase that we're trying to prioritize. How can we get you know, the most value for the kind of the least amount of effort in, into a project to try and get those quick wins. Because the worst thing you can do is just create this overbloated software that's not really serving anyone <laughs> and continues to Oh, that's grow. never happened to... Yeah, yeah, yeah never yeah. happened to anyone. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the software is never going to be done. Facebook, if they had stopped developing in 2000, you know, when at six or whenever they came out, it, it's... It, they wouldn't exist as a company. And so companies continue to have to innovate. They're continuing to have to you know, create this new value for their users. So we sit down, we really map out what we're trying to do, where, where's the quickest point to value, and then, and then building from there. Hmm. Where, um, can you give me a concrete example of like a problem w- without obviously giving away trade secrets or anything? You know, what, can you give me an example of what, what kind of problems our business seeing, or is it just so varied? But like, what's a, what's a concrete problem that some of your software development has helped to fix? Yeah, so I can point at maybe some uh, more human ones, and then I'll talk about some more enterprise ones if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, right now we're working on a project uh, for a company that's trying to enable uh, blind and low vision users to navigate the world. And so think about not being able to see and being able to navigate with a smart cane that's connected to your phone, whether it's Android or iPhone, and uh, giving you uh, verbal feedback of, here, turn right in 15 feet, and then now you've arrived at you know your gate. Uh, and so we're working on that, and we're super excited about that technology and how it's going to help blind and low-vision individuals navigate the world around them. So do those those smart canes exist? So that's they a exist. hardware that... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and you're... you're you're wanting it to speak. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we've wow. built the ability to to speak to it. And it's launching this year. And it's it's super exciting to think about not just indoor, but also outdoor navigation and helping a community like that be able to uh, have the freedom to travel. What an absolute, yeah, yeah. What a gift to, yep. to those clientele. Wow. Yep. So that's more of a nonprofit example. And then obviously we have the a lot of the enterprise examples and serving the Fortune 500 and really what they're coming into, uh, it, it, again, it's a business problem. So they say, you know, either we need to increase revenue or we need to, you know, use an app to increase our efficiency and, uh, you know, find where that value is hiding. So we're able to come in and build a solution. Sometimes it's an app. Sometimes it's a web app. Sometimes it's a custom IoT solution, Internet of Things solution. Uh, you know, if you're working with a large manufacturer, you know, a lot of times they have all of these different data points that are coming out of the factory. Right. And so how can you leverage those to create value and to uh, improve efficiency? Hmm. A, f- a friend I was talking to, I-, I think the company she works for is based out of Israel, um, but they-, they even talked about the – it's a manufacturing company or it's a technology that helps manufacturing companies know when their machines are going to break down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is that so? Is that what you're to, like? It, it, it's talking or, or letting people know about. Is that the kind of efficiency you're talking about? So somebody can come in and either service it or fix it. Yeah. No. Absolutely. We've done that with some large companies. Uh, predictive, uh, you know, response rather than waiting for it to break. You know, if you know that it's going to be an issue in a little bit, then you can predict and mm-hmm. take action on that. Because if the line keeps running, you know, everyone's happy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, do you have a? a a sector, a business sector that you like to work in, or are you across the board? Like, I mean, do all kinds of companies work with you, or is there a, a you know a featured one that you're like best or, or well known for? 
Um, I think we're getting more well known in certain you know logistics and supply chain areas, but for us, really, it's about solving that business problem. So we we solve them in healthcare and fintech and you know consumer products and manufacturing. Uh, it's really more about the problem than it is about the solution. Um, you know, so sometimes you are just building a web app that users are logging into, getting data and making decisions. But other times it is you know there's a connected device here and it's going to connect and we need to you know, connect it to all these different reports and analytics in order to find how to solve that problem. And isn't one of the struggles, I, I think, you know, in Europe, I think there's a law, either it was passed or is about to be passed, about interoperability. Mm-hmm. Like when you read about Internet of Things and there was a, 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 it wasn't a joke, it went viral, it was hilarious, but it, um, a few weeks ago, somebody found that their, their dry, it was either their washing machine or dryer that connects to the wipe. It was down, he, he could see his usage. And it was either his washer or dryer was downloading like, a, you know, a lot of information. He's like, why is, why is the biggest draw on my Wi-Fi my dryer? You know, <laughs> and, and, and they were trying to figure it out. And it, yeah. was, it was a pretty funny technical uh, thread. But, you know, are you finding that, you know, it, it, there seems now there's an app for everything. And another complaint is like for parents. I, don't, I know you're a, you're a parent and yeah. I'm, I got four kiddos and they're in sports and educational things. You, you know, everybody, they think for efficiency sake, well, there's an app and we'll communicate. All of a sudden I have a, a tab on my phone and my kids, you know, under their little umbrella, I got like six or seven apps just for their little – and I, I don't know if that's efficiency. You yeah. know, sometimes <laughs> I, I, I wonder about that. I mean, are you – you know, it seems like apps or interoperability, things don't speak to one another. The apps are hyper-specific. You know, how, do you, how do you think philosophically about what you're doing? Or is that um, you're kind of, you know, obviously company-specific, design-specific, but as a company culture, do you have, you know, conversations around those kinds of topics? Yeah, we really try and reduce the noise. And so if it really is a specific problem or function, you know, if it's a one-function app, that's probably not going to be a good fit. And especially if it's being built for consumers, it needs to have a lot more features. There needs to be a reason why you need to use it multiple times. Mm. And so, you know, I think you're referencing all the, you know, the different uh, apps for communication, but even just think about how you experience television right now and the ability to watch live TV. I don't even know how many logins. You yeah, have exactly. To have totally. To just watch, you know, the, uh, the sports. And so, I think that it will, it, it's gone, you know, apart and it's going to come back together. And so there'll be some core technologies and things that we, we use over and over again. And then there, there's some that aren't useful. And so it's whatever apps are the most useful are going to win. Hmm. Did you, you know, when you were in business school, and, and again, this is emerging in that same time, and you're thinking about starting a business, what, what did you, you know, what, what, um, what were you thinking about, like starting a business, and how has it actually turned out? Like, what maybe? What are some of the sticking points, or what were some of the harder things you've had to go through as a not only a, a you know a creator of a business, but then you've persisted like fourteen years in now. What are some of those sticking points or harder things that you've had to deal with as an owner? Yeah, I think for us, it really it, because it is a people business that you're you're enabling others, you're encouraging others, and I, I have the gift of encouragement. Like I like to you know see someone that's down and try and help out and you know get involved in that way. And the uh, a lot of the challenges that you face are related to where the constraint is, and the constraint is always moving. So sometimes it's talent, you know. Sometimes mm-hmm. it, you know you can't find enough people. Right. You know, and other times it's you know the supply and the ability to you know create pipeline and new projects. And so uh, 
for us, really just watching that and trying to be a good steward of the business that we have to try and see how it can impact the world. And so for us, I think the challenge has been always moving. And that constraint is, uh, you know, as the leader gets better, everyone wins. And so for us, it's really about improving our leadership and we're involved with a mentor and they're really helping us think through some of these challenges too. And is that a mentor on just the business, like how to create a healthy business, a virtuous business? Is that, is that what you mean? Yeah, they're, I mean, they're... Or are they technical too? No, they're not technical. They, uh, they really help uh, people to solve problems. And so, um, you know, our mentor has been really good at connecting different individuals and trying to resolve conflict. And so it's, it's maybe it's leaning more towards a therapist than it is yeah. a mentor, but we're trying to learn from their life experience and they're in their seventies. And so they have, they've gone through a lot of things that we haven't seen yet. Hmm. And so we're able to just sit with them and get mentored by them. Oh, well, that's invaluable. I mean, that, that's, it's, yeah, that's very needed in a lot of businesses. Um, what, what do you, I mean, right now, you know, in, in today's climate, I was just reading the, you know, uh, Michigan Business Journal, or Cranes, I think it's called. You know what? What uh, right now in West Michigan? We have listeners from you know all over the world, actually. But it, hmm. in West Michigan, it seems like you know housing is tight, industry is still hiring. You know, at a low unemployment. And what are you looking for in an employee? And I know again, you have developed, you have a wide array yeah. of who you look for. But what are you looking for in a new hire? What what is what's a good employee? Yeah, so really three things stand out, and there's there's more, but hunger, humility, and smarts come to mind, and that's obviously from Patrick Lencioni, but this idea that you want someone that has that hunger, that drive, that's going to go out and solve problems. So rather than you constantly having to move them forward, they're out looking for problems to solve. Uh, and then the humility, you know, no egos. Egos are the number one thing to ruin a team environment. If someone says, I've got all the answers, you have to come to me, you know, that's just going to ruin your culture. And then smarts, you know, they need to have this ability to solve problems, but also learn how to interact with people. And so a lot of times they're not getting something done on their own. You know, you think back to your school projects, if you have that one person that's doing all the work, yeah. not going to be as effective as if the whole team of four is doing it. And so yeah. for us, that smarts comes into not just doing your individual work, but also how you work together. It's like that classic meme. I used to be a professor and one of my students showed me this meme because they were doing a group project and they were complaining about a, a certain member of their team. And I don't think they created the meme. It's everywhere now. But, you know, I want to be invited to so-and-so's funeral. So um, or I want them to be at my funeral so they can let me down one more time. You know, and it, it's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that ego or that person that doesn't. Um, how do you deal with that? You know, internal, you know, do you have a strong, um, it looked like employee satisfaction. You, you've been ranked high in multiple, you know, um, uh surveys for employee satisfaction, you know, how, how do you build that in the culture like daily? Like how is that implemented? Yeah. So a lot of, you know, the, I think the one you're referencing is Inc. Best Workplaces or Fortune 100 Best Places yeah. to Work. And those, those are really great because the employees apply on our behalf. And so they're mm -hmm. the ones that are filling out the surveys and telling the world what it's really like to work uh, at Michigan Software Labs. So they are actually the ones, you know, telling the world what it's like to really work there. And so for us, I think it does go into this, uh, this idea of what, what is going to be best for the team member. Uh, and trying to prioritize what some of their needs are. And so, for example, we do things that are pretty strange. Like we pay, you know, 100% of the premiums for healthcare. We have all of the ideas of, you know, the benefits in terms of what we're paying for professional development. And uh, uh, 
sending them to conferences for continuous learning and trying to, you know, really just pour into them as individuals. But a lot of what it comes down to is where do they want to be in five years and how mm. can we help them get there? And so we're just kind of coming alongside them and uh, trying to enable them to be successful. So you're actually looking, I mean, it, it's hard in today's culture, sometimes in the business climate, I mean, you're actually, they are an investment. Mm -hmm. you, you hear a lot of lip service. But I mean, that takes time though, doesn't it? To, to ask an employee and actually care about the answer, mm -hmm. where do they want to be in five years? Mm -hmm. And so you've built in, you know, so I, I just think that's fantastic. A lot of, um, does that, have you seen that? Does that lead to longevity? Does that lead, you know, just, just general satisfaction? What, what yeah. are some markers you've seen? Yeah, we have really low turnover. And then one of the other things is, do I have a friend at work? And we're pretty high on those, uh, on that one as well. Um, and so low on attrition and then, you know, high on people have people that care about me at work. And yeah. so we continue to watch that for loyalty and trying to, you know, really encourage our team as they're, as they're growing. And so a lot of our, our new employees have come through referral. And they're saying, you know, hey, I've got a friend, you know, that might need a, you know, role. And so we're able to look out for that. But the other thing that we've decided to do is rather than have 40 hours billable, which most consultancies do, we take four hours and we put that into professional development, into that curiosity of R&D and trying to, you know, learn. And we, we cut that right out of the uh, right out of their work. And so they actually have dedicated time four hours a week to really pour into those areas. Yeah. What a, what a what a great benefit. Um, in 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 your world, then it seems your, you know, partner is a real technical guy. Your how would you consider your role? You, you said you love people and get, like are do you like to go? Are you sales for the lack of a better term? Um, where, where where does your role fit in currently? Yeah, so a lot of times I am kind of on the early end of when a new client reaches out to us and says, hey, we want you to come into our business. You know, we'll take a tour. We'll do some, uh, you know, strategy around, all right, how could this be a fit, you know, kind of qualifying and, and trying to work with them. And then we will step into it and uh, I'll bring much smarter people than me to the table where they can help solve those problems. And so, but a lot of times I am pretty early on in the relationship and then I'm doing a lot of uh, you know, different speaking engagements or opportunities to share who we are in the community. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and you also write. You know, I, I found, you know, I don't know, I, I think quickly, a quick Google search, there were like a dozen or more articles. I'm sure you have a lot more. Um, but it, it looks like at Forbes primarily and other, yep. what, what kind of outlet, you know, or what does that do for you? You know, writing and yeah. thinking about, tell me, tell me more about that because it looks like you do a lot of it. Yeah, so it's actually started on an airplane. I was just like, I'm gonna, I pulled out notes and I just started writing articles. And then I was able to get into the Forbes Technology Council, which allows you to actually publish articles on Forbes.com and uh, write also for Fast Company, which is another uh, site. Yeah. But really just thinking about trying to story, uh, you know, tell the stories of what our clients are facing, what their anxiety uh, is. So I have a new article coming out in Forbes about tech anxiety because leaders in the C-suite especially are really concerned about what are all these new trends going to do to my business model and, you know, the the everything's moving. Absolutely. And so how, how can we deal with that anxiety? And so we kind of lay out four different areas of things that they can think about. Because I, I love that. I mean, it, to be thinking and writing, you know, I had a professor in grad school say, you know, to write is to think. Mm -hmm. We can have a lot of ideas, yeah. but when you, when you start writing, you know, and all of a sudden you see it, that, that's great. I, and, and that's a great transition. Let, let, me, let me ask you a little bit more. Um, how has the explosion of interest 
in artificial intelligence. Obviously, it's been around, you know, 60 years, you know, the mm-hmm. ideas, et cetera. But it seems with chat GPT and others, you know, the last two years, there's been an explosion in interest, even though companies were using it before that. Um, how has it affected your business or, or just the, the software development, you know, the expectations? How has the last two years changed, if, if at all, for, no. for what you do? Yeah, it's certainly changed. Everything's getting, you know, timelines are getting shorter. You know, expectations are getting higher as you, as you think about that. But, you know, for us, we really see it as a positive change. And so a lot of people are coming to us, you know, what's your opinion? Is this going to disrupt software development? And I think in the short term, it is having, you know, great improvements. There's ways that you can submit your code and, and see it being reviewed and making suggestions to help you be more efficient and effective in what you're writing. I wish I would have had that back in 2008. It would have made me a better programmer. And so it's really, we see it as humans plus technology is going to equal the best result versus, you know, one, you know, uh, winning over the other. And so we treat it like a work colleague. You know, AI is like a work colleague and you're going to interact with AI. It's going to teach you things. You're going to teach it things. And uh, being able to effectively learn how to communicate with AI will make every everyone better. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to have to stop you there. Let's let's <laughs> let, let's uh let's dig just for a second. You know, your your idea and I know you brought this up very briefly in our uh, business matters conference, you know, that that we've had um uh, recently. So tell me, you know, this AI as work colleague. Um and I know you you're quoted as using this. That was the first time I'd ever thought of it that way. And as you know, I like to dig into these topics a little bit. Um and a quote I found um for me is it's like any tool that needs to be optimized. You're going to have to get to know it. The more we treat this tool like that, the less we'll feel threatened by it. And so when I hear AI as colleague, I mean, I, and I'm a manager, I'm a director, right? I manage a department of people, always have, you know, and, and I'm, I was, after you first said that, you know, I, I literally, like I told you before the show started, I, I haven't stopped thinking about yeah. it because <laughs> I look at my, you know, I, I, I'm like, do I look at my employees like tools? Do I look at them? Like, you know, I, I see AI and I, I think even tool is philosophically fraught a little bit with, with tech, how we talk about our tech. And that's probably another whole nother podcast. <laughs> but, but this idea of AI as colleague I mean, I don't, you know, I don't look at my team members that need to be optimized. There, there's language that's smuggled in or obscures, you know, a little bit. I think uh, Neil Postman, you know, he, he wrote, I'm Using Ourselves to Death. That's his most popular book. But Technopoly and then A Return to the 18th Century, you know, he has these really interesting books. But he has these six questions. And one of the questions he says about technology to interrogate any new technology is, what changes in language are being enforced by new technologies and what is being gained or lost by such changes. And so that's, you know, those, those are the things that are bouncing around. When you say AI is colleague, is that dehumanizing? I guess maybe that at, at base value, that's what I'm kind of thinking. To yeah. Explain more. And I, and I know you don't mean that, you know. No, as, yeah. Language is important. And for us, you know, we, you know, I'm continuing to talk about it in a positive way. You know, obviously there are threats and we've got to think about those. So, you know, one that we learned about the other day was thinking about the autonomous, you know, road that they're setting up in Texas. And they're going to have a whole lane, you know, uh, just dedicated to autonomous vehicles, mainly trucks. And I think it's a 21 mile stretch that they're starting with. Right. And uh, people are starting to say, well, you know, if AI is doing all the driving, you know, what's going to happen to, you know, me as a driver? Will I still be able to make a decision? 
decision to go out and drive a car or am I too much at risk, mm -hmm. you know, to the road and things like that. And so I do think we need to be really careful and cautious about language and how we're talking about it. Um, and, you know, from our perspective, I think the work colleague example is really just thinking about it as it re relates to, you know, your, your office environment or your work environment. And we're trying to see it as what are the benefits for you to interact with your colleague. And so I think with a new hire, there, there is some nuance with that. And, you know, if you were bringing on a new person to your team, there'd be some things that you really get along with them on and some things that you don't. And so figuring out what that nuance is, I think will be important for leaders. Okay. Cause, cause when I think about it, there's, you know, I've a good friend of mine, you know, it, um, they had a Alexa in the house and he, they found, you know, he tells the story of their, their children, like abuse, like yelling at, a, you know, Alexa mm -hmm. would get something wrong or serious, <laughs> you know, and, and he, they would talk to it in such a way that you would hopefully, you know, never talk to another human. Yeah. You know, very rudely, you know, <laughs> and, and, and so I, I think, you know, if I understand, he, they just got rid of it. Yeah. And because of the, the, it was forming the kids in a certain way towards technology that, that they just didn't like, and that you know that's different, for, of course, for every every family. But yeah. that that's kind of what I think about. Like I don't I don't think about you know Salesforce or something. You know, when I come into yeah. work, <laughs> what, what I'm working on on my you know desk, yeah. And then but then I look out at my team in the you know in the cube farm. You know, I I, I fundamentally don't think of those the same. Yeah. So the AI as colleague um, is just so intriguing to me on 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 that level as I'm thinking through what it means to be human versus how I'm utilizing a technology, f you know, for whatever purpose. Yeah. <laughs> you, you'll love this story, but I've got four daughters and our oldest daughter the other day asked the, the HomePod. We have an Apple HomePod. Sure. And she said, you know, hey, Siri, can you order me an Alexa? <laughs> because it wasn't pulling up the right weather or something right, like right. that. And I'm like, you better be careful how you treat Siri. Yeah. She's going to, you know, she rules everything someday. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just that idea that we do need to figure out, yeah, what are the, the human ways that we're interacting with technology if we are going to, you know, set the example of how we want to be treated. Uh, so it's going to be a really interesting dynamic. I think you, you, you mentioned it, but just the importance of, uh, you know, how important language is and what we're talking about, I think will be really key. So philosophically, I mean, we can go, you know, we could get really deep really quick. But what I think what you're trying to say is, is it obviously not going away? And it will be present more. Is is that right? Yeah, this is the VCR, and we still have the DVD to come, you know, and the Blu-ray, yeah. and then we've got it embedded everywhere, and uh, it's it's in the cloud, and it exists without you know physical. So, um, I think this is the version one, and we're all excited about it. You know, we can play you know videotapes and record our own, and you know it's really exciting. But the the future is going to get incrementally more complex as we as we think about rolling out these new tools. So, I mean, this is I. As I wrote the question, I was laughing at it. So I, I realized, but you know, <laughs> to put on your profit hat, you know, in this space, two to three years seems like forever. Yeah. Uh, but in two to three years, are are you seeing certain industries? Um, I, I speak a lot about technology disruption and the future of work. You mm -hmm. know, a lot of people like, will this take jobs? Or you mm -hmm. know, there, there's angles on that conversation. Um, and I, I talk with people all over the country, and and everybody has an opinion. You know, I yeah, mean, yeah. this is something you can really relate to. You <laughs> yeah. know, to almost anybody about. And you know, are are there industries do you think that are more ripe for for this kind of future, um, or are, is this really going to touch? 
you know, there's a lot of conversation about white collar is going to take another hit or a hit um, different than some of the blue collar industrial displacements, you know, of the of the past. You know, are, are there industries that you're thinking or, you know, seeing? And again, not, not to put you on the prophetic yeah, <laughs> yeah. throne. <laughs> Certainly healthcare is, is really the first one because mm. they have enormous worker shortages. And as, you know, I think 46 percent of, you know, uh, the – the boomers are entering into this, right. you know, where they need uh, increased health care. And so I think what's going to happen, I heard uh, a talk from, uh, you know, a chief consultant on this idea, but everyone's job within the hospital will be, uh, you know, segmented out. And so right now, if 40% of a nurse's job is actually typing and, you know, dictate or, you know, understanding information that's happening in the room, how could that be replaced by technology? And then that 40% of that nurse's job can be, you know, taking care of patients and being more effective in, in the hospital setting. So I think we'll have a lot of that where it's not that the jo- the entire job goes away, but maybe one segment of tasks. the job. Yeah, yeah. That's the, the conversation is the tasks. Yeah, yeah. tasks yeah. are going away. And so, you know, is that a positive thing? I mean, we don't have buggy whips anymore. I mean, we don't have all these, you know, typists. I mean, all these old roles needed to be adapted and switched. And I actually think it will destroy a ton of jobs, but it will create uh, even more jobs yeah. because of that trend. Yeah, what, from an economic historian perspective or you know, ethical, it, it, it absolutely right. We don't have buggy whips. The amount – you can Google that. You know, I, I don't have it on the top of my head, but the number is astounding. How many horses there were at, in 1900 hmm. versus how many horses there were by 1950. Mm-hmm. Like somebody actually you know, did, did that work yeah. in, in America. And it, I mean it, it's like 10%. I mean, it's, it's ca- it was catastrophic hmm. to how many horses were in America. And so that, that the buggy whip, et cetera, you know, that, that follows. But uh, Carl Benedict Frey in his book, The Technology Trap from, from 2019, you know, he's very pro-tech, very probably techno-optimist in, in, in that re- regard. But as an economic historian whose specialty is technology, what he – a reminder he has in the book over and over is that usually it takes two to three generations – and that really in, in industrial revolutions, there were there were revolutions, literally, you know, yeah. and, and there were upheavals and things. And so to not take it lightly that I, I think sometimes we, we, we talk very glibly about, you know, oh, yeah, you know, the, these tasks will change, these jobs will change, but more will be created, which I think is historically true. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, that I mean, almost anybody who studies this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we were all farmers, you know. At oh one yeah. Point, you oh know. yeah. Now 1.8% of Americans are directly involved in any kind of agrarian pursuit. 1.8. Wow. Yeah. And and so yes, I've, absolutely that true, but then you 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 have this you know, on the flip side, you can look at, you know, the family farm. You know, all, all farms are huge and industrial, not, and that's hyperbole, not all of them, but the majority of them and the efficiencies that come from the, you know, you can speak of good and bad. That, that come from the, these issues. And so I, I'm always thinking about, um, and you're in it, you know, and, and have you seen any, has, um, this is a broad question, have any of your clients ever come back and asked you to change something because of an ill effect? Or um, I don't know if your, your kind of industry is one and done, or do you, know, do, you, do you have ongoing relationships with clients? Is that how that works? Or you know, is, is there any kind of process that way, in, as you've seen it in, in your yeah. 14 years? Yeah, I can't think of a time where we you know, had to change. Uh, obviously, technology is never done. Software is never done. And so we're always constantly working on behalf. Mm-hmm. And we still have some of our earliest clients. 
uh, because you you kind of learn their business and they learn about your approach. And if you're continuing to deliver value, they're going to want to keep you versus trying to find somebody else. Fair enough. Yeah. Harder to relate with. And so, um, yeah, I can't think of an exact time where we've had to, you know, go back because it was displacing their their business model. It almost makes me think back to Blockbuster and Netflix, you know. where <laughs> What's Blockbuster? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what is a Blockbuster? Yeah. I still carry around my uh, Blockbuster card in my wallet. Do you really? So, That's you great. Know, pull that out. I don't know if it's useful. I think there are some stores in Alaska still. So I, I, I heard there was just one. Somebody one? told yeah, there, there's one left. <laughs> we'll have to go yeah. visit and check it yeah. out. But uh, yeah, that idea that disruption will happen and it will create new opportunity, uh, I think is really, uh, really going to be key. You know, a lot of the industries that we serve it, you know, AI is starting, it started five years ago or seven years ago, but yeah, it starts with pricing and you create, you know, models to help you improve how your pricing is going to uh, be pushed out into the marketplace. Then it moves to a recommendation engine. And you remember seeing this on the bottom of every Amazon email you've ever mm-hmm. ever had. You bought these, so you might like these. Exactly. And you know, companies started to do the recommendation engine inside their company, outside their company. And now it is going more generative and uh, you know, thinking of new ideas and helping enable different departments, obviously marketing and all these operations, you know, they're they're getting value from that. And mm-hmm. so I think that uh, to see, you know, where the end happens, I, I don't know if we know that. And of course, I've got a device right next to us here, the, the new Apple Vision Pro, uh, which uh, I'm, I'm really curious to see as, as you put this on. Yeah, I can't wait to put it on. Yeah, so those of you listening, just uh, we, uh, he, he brought, you know, just in the past few days, the Apple Vision Pro was released and uh, Mark brought a, uh, a copy. And so I get to, uh, I get to, I've read a lot of articles about it, but I get to put it on and, and try it over the next. Uh, you might never come back. I might not. Yeah. You, it'll immerse <laughs> we'll call me. your family. Yeah, exactly. He's gone. Dan's he's gone. In, he's in Europe. Dan's over there. He's been downloaded. Um, well, so that, you know, not to, you know, again, this is probably a whole different discussion, but is that ever part of the discussion? Have you heard, you know, of companies that think through, you know, is, is this in the design or the consultative phase that you work with them, do they, you know, because when you say efficiencies, Mm -hmm. I think most business owners, you know, is that less people, you know, because people are the most expensive in almost any endeavor. Yeah. Um, And so is that ever discussed? Like what, what effect will this have on other, like the interdisciplinary nature of if we implement this here, what other effects, countervailing effects, will it have over here? Is that is that ever? Yeah, they think about it. Uh, I think it usually comes up with how they're going to, you know, go to market. And so how this new technology that they're going to develop is going to disrupt not only their business model, but other business models. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we start, you know, we build a business model canvas with them and we start to see how the interchange is going to happen between all these different channels. And uh, I think it's an important consideration to make sure you're disrupting yourself and to try and, you know, be a, you know, this create this whole new uh, efficient business model that's going to serve you for the long term. And so we were just with a, a local company a, a few days ago and they started in a very small industry and now they've grown into, you know, all these other larger ones because they took risks and because they didn't say, you know, we're never going to innovate. We're only going to do this one thing. And I think companies have to do that. They have to adapt and, and think about new technologies that aren't going to be, uh, you know, even invented yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there are there any areas that you think are um, in technology broadly? I mean, you're in the software space, et cetera, but it, that are more hype. You know, there's a lot of conversation about because you you, you mentioned this road in Texas. Yeah, I mean, self driving cars or trucks or you know that yeah, conversation's been around. been around a long time, and I yeah. think people were expecting 
by 2024 more Jetson yeah. than <laughs> you, you know, and, and it just hasn't it just hasn't arrived. Yeah, and um, and obviously there's still monies being dumped, obviously, yeah, into it, and and there's this takes time, but it, it seems like sometimes there's an awful lot of you know, uh, I talk with people that use mid-journey mm-hmm. or they use the, the different versions of chat GPT and it's obviously getting better. Did you see some of those YouTube commercials like create a pizza hut uh, or yeah. create a pizza commercial and it's like a fever <laughs> dream, you know, yeah. the, the early mid-journey was like I was on LSD watching yeah. this commercial. <laughs> but but now obviously it's, it's brilliant. You know, yeah. we're, we're less than two years from that point. Yeah. Um, but it's still people then are using it uh, like industry, like you said, enterprise. It seems like a lot of people are using it for fun, or like influencers are showing what they. But it, but it's like so. Like what? What is this actually adding value in the world? And it, it, it seems I think that there's a disconnect there. What are there areas of hype at the moment? Not not that it couldn't be in the future, but what what are areas of hype that you're seeing? Yeah, I think anything that's related to you know connecting technology with the body, I think, is still a little bit of a ways out. And so you know we talked about Neuralink and how yeah. they were able to successfully you know have someone move the computer mouse you know with their with their brain and their mm-hmm. mind. MIT Labs is of course working on some new technologies that Absolutely. are related to that. And so I think that. That might be, uh, you know, and they've had, you know, flying cars and things like that. I've seen them at CES, but, you know, actually getting governments to adopt, you know, or FFA or whatever to adopt that ability to fly from house to house, um, I think will be a ways off. But the the technology of embedding in the body, I think, is a really one that we, we have to talk about, you know, as leaders and as business people of, you know, how that's going to affect things because some people are going to have the upgrade and other people aren't. And how are they going to, how is it going to affect society as we're moving forward? Um, so I'm not the right person to talk about that. You've got sure. great smart people to, to yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah. But. but but you're seeing some of the like you're at CES or other other these yeah. other shows that that have the I mean people are thinking about it. Yeah yeah certainly and that trend is going to be you know really it's it could go really fast and so uh, you know just thinking about people that had smartphones and people that had not smartphones mm-hmm. and uh, this this trend and what's happening is well the digital go, divide back in the day before smartphones yeah that yeah. was the, who had the internet. Yeah. And who didn't? And you know, the continent of Africa essentially leapfrogged the laptop, mm-hmm. and they went straight mobile. Wow! Yeah. You know, so Africa, we, I mean, they're hardly. I mean, obviously they have laptops in Africa, but it, it wasn't as big of a, a sector because they were slower to adopt. And by the time they were boom, the 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 mobile market, China came in, you know, and, and did their thing. Huawei, and, and all of a sudden, boom, everybody has smartphones, mm-hmm. and now they're a smartphone, largely a digital handheld, you know. Um, culture, so it's it's fascinating, and it, I just Mark, I I really do appreciate you you coming in and sharing about Michigan Software Labs. We'll leave a link in the notes to uh, um, your website, and, and and what is your? I'll just close with this: like, what what is your appetite right now? Are you are you growing? Are you wanting to? You know, is is there areas, or are you, are you scaling to size as as an uh, a manager and owner of, of the company? What what are your hopes for the future? Yeah, so I think continued growth, you know, you're either growing or dying, you know, yeah. and that uh, for us really our core business is services and is providing, you know, the services to meet the the client's needs. And so I think we'll continue to grow. You know, I don't know if it'll be 40% like it was last year, but there's a lot of demand right now for what we do. And I think AI is custom software. And so we'll continue to build new tools and, you know, new ways for people to interact with AI within their companies. And so I, I really see a bright future for custom software. I think uh, the Midwest, specifically Michigan, I think we can really uh, be innovators in this area. I yeah. think because of the humility side and not the, you know, not that other areas of the country don't have that, but I do 
do think that we have a unique position here. We're, we're doers and we want to get things done and, and really help serve others. So we're looking forward to the, the next years. Well, I mean, we had, we like to think deeply about entrepreneurship. We like to think deeply about virtuous business. And I, I really appreciate you sharing a little bit about your story. I love, I love how it started. Um, and uh, we hope you have continued success. Thanks for being here in West Michigan. Oh, thanks, Dan. Appreciate thanks, it. Mark. As always, thank you for listening. Our team loves putting this podcast together for you. It's encouraging to hear from our listeners. Feedback is incredibly important to us because it lets us know what you'd like to hear more of, including the kinds of topics you're interested in most. If you have comments, feedback, or ideas for a show topic or interesting guest, you can email our team at producer at acton.org. Until next week, for Acton Line, I'm Eric Cohn.